0: You should be a monster. Because everyone says, well, you should be harmless. You don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be too assertive. You want to take a back seat. No. You should be a monster. And then you should learn how to control. 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 You should learn how to control.
1: A hey everybody, thanks for joining us as we crack open another episode of the Undisclosed Agents Podcast. Today we had the opportunity to chat with Tom Hollick. Tom is an 18-year veteran of the fire service who currently serves as a battalion chief in Texas. Tom has an impressive resume thanks to his incredible passion for this profession. Some of the highlights include being an instructor with Bears of the Oath and MV Fire Rescue, heading up amazing classes like No Quit Writ. This is an excellent, no-bullshit conversation with someone who isn't afraid to tell the truth about this job and what it takes to be successful. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Chief Hollick. Now let's get after it. All right, we're here today with Tom Hollick. Tom, how you doing, man?
2: Wonderful.
3: Well, it's nice to meet you, and uh, we're happy to have you on today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey that brought you here today?
2: Cool. Uh, So I started in the fire service in 05. I've got a little bit uh, over 18 years in now. Uh, When I started, I was actually living in Tennessee. I kind of moved out there by chance. Grew up in Texas, uh, born and raised in the San Antonio area. Ended up going to uh, Tennessee. Uh, Initially, when I went up there, I was just working for the Parks and Rec Department. It was kind of on a whim, went up there, and it's uh, right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Beautiful area, the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, I guess it was about... Five, four or five years after doing that, I went to the uh, city picnic and the uh, fire inspector at the time there, his name's Roger Price, he kind of came up to me. We stroke struck up some conversation. He was like, Hey man, you're kind of big. Uh would you think about volunteering? I was like, heck yeah, man. I'm that sounds wonderful. Let's do this. Uh so I volunteered for a year and then right about that time I was getting through EMT, all that stuff, and uh through rookie school. Uh, and then they went full time paid. So uh, right after a year of volunteering, I got on with the city of Pigeon Forge Fire Department. I worked there for an additional five years paid. um, And then my dad got sick uh, and I was living in Tennessee and it took me like 22 hours to get to him. And I pretty much said at that point, enough's enough. Uh, I'm going back home. Uh, So at that point. I started applying for departments, uh, San Antonio Fire uh, and then Shirts Fire, which is actually where I grew up, uh, right northeast side of San Antonio and graduated high school. Uh, And they were the first ones to call. So got on with them. I was there for about 10 and a half years. I worked my way from firefighter to driver uh, to lieutenant. And then the next uh, neighboring department, Cibolo, uh, they opened up for battalion chiefs. Uh, they had never had the position. Um, it was brand new to them to have battalion chiefs. And I put in for it, uh, just kind of thinking, you know, I feel like I can provide some, some insight. They're a very young department. They've got young, hungry people. And I just felt like it was a really good fit for me. So I applied. Uh, I was the only one from the outside to get it. And there's two other guys, uh, that took the other two shifts from the inside that got it. Uh, and I've been there a little bit over a year and, it's just been phenomenal. Uh, that's kind of how I made it here. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that you can jump down into rabbit holes about, you know, how did I get the the passion or the drive? How do I get the opportunity to do this? I don't know. A lot of the times I kind of pinch myself. Um, but the thing that I can say is the training officer from the city of Pigeon Forge fire department really instilled in me, uh, what it means to be a fireman. And he really pushed me to get outside of our bubble and to really seek out and be good at this job. Uh his name's Chris Knutsen. He's no longer with the City of Pigeon Forge. He's now a uh, fire chief in plaisto Uh and he really I credit him with everything getting me into where I'm at now. Uh he kind of laid that foundation for me. And then past that I feel like it's that that circle of influence um that I've been blessed with. Um I just got amazing people surrounding me that that hold me accountable as well as uh um just care for me enough to push me forward. So and and those guys, you know, like Kevin Fluger, uh Shane Bentley, Nate Sturm, Chris Snow, like all these people that like just reach out to all the time. Um, Chief Riley is another one. LJ, you guys were talking about having him on. And uh I just man, those guys to have them in your phone where you can just pick it up and and call them and double check in and make sure that you're doing the right thing. And that's what brought me here. I feel like is, is the people that have pushed me.
1: That's amazing, man, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny. The we talked about this on several of the podcasts. The more you reach out, and the more you kind of get passionate about this job, this circle you realize is a lot bigger, but it does oh, yeah. get a lot tighter. You know, it, it, the ability oh, yeah. to reach out to these people is there, and I I actually was talking to Kevin Fluger uh, via Instagram, the greatest and worst invention ever on the planet, and I asked Kevin if he'd like to be on the podcast, and he said, "Well, I'll I'll come on your podcast, but you got to have Tom on there first. So. That's how I, I got the idea to reach out to you. I'd heard you on the scrap before and, and heard you in other places. So that was good that that worked out. And again, yeah, we had LJ on last week. We had Chief Riley on a couple of weeks before that. This uh, yeah. this community that we're building here it is amazing. And uh, that's it, a perfect segue into your list of topics. Like everybody knows what we do is we ask our guests to send us what they want to talk about. You're the guest. We... we You are the one that has the passion for whatever it is, and we want to get the best out of you. So the first thing on your list was Circle of Influence. So let's dive right in, and let's start there and talk about your thoughts on Circle of Influence.
2: Absolutely. So my mom, uh, I guess I was in middle school, started making some not-so-great decisions, uh, You know, hanging out with probably the wrong people. Uh, And she was trying to tell me this back in middle school about... You know, you're a product of who you hang out with, really diving into that circle of influence. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, you're younger. You're like, yeah, you don't know anything, mom. I've watched this. I got this, you know. Well, I guess it was right around the time when I got in the fire service that started to click for me. It started to make sense what she was trying to tell me. Um, Again, I told, told you about the training officer, but there's also other guys up there at the Pigeon Forge that that really there's another gentleman. His name's Josh Carr. That uh, He's a captain up there now. And man, him and I were like, um, uh, I don't know how, uh, like just twins. Like we understood, like we knew what we needed to do. We were there pushing each other. We made some gnarly calls together and just pulled stuff out of our butts. Sometimes I felt like, and being surrounded with people like that, I, I, it started to click for me what my mom was trying to tell me. And then progressing forward, when I got down into the Northeast side of San Antonio area, where I'm at now. Honestly, I feel like it was somewhat by chance, but it was also God led me to a place where he needed me to be. Uh, and then he put people in my life to really push me forward again. You know, you you brought up Kev, like, he's literally, he's my best friend, like that dude. And we, the funniest thing though, is he, him and I have only known each other a little bit over two, almost three years now. Uh, and that was a chance encounter. So at the department that I used to work for, shirts. We were having some issues with some hose and nozzle packages, like this wicked back pressure stuff. And we were in a TFT 75 PSI fog and then crap hose. And I was trying to figure all this out. So I actually reached out to Kyle Romagus and I told him this. And he said, Hey, what are you doing this week? And I was like, Well, I'm on shift. He was like, Well, I'm coming to you. So at that point, that's when I reached out to the area and I said, Hey man, this is a great opportunity. We're having this dude down. Send your people. Well, one of my friends uh over at Live Oak where Kevin works at uh Captain Everett, he said, I got the guy, I'm sending him. And that's how Kevin and I met. And after that, like I said, we've only known each other a little bit under three years now. And after that, it was just like I've known the dude for 20, 30 years. I mean, it's it's crazy how you these people are put in your life. And then you start going and and being with them. You know, his his wife, uh Jenna and my wife Jenny are like best friends now. And we hang out outside of work all the time. You know, call Kevin probably on on the minimum, probably three times a week or on the phone. Uh, You know, it's just I really feel like if you hang out with the right people uh, and those people are genuine and they care, they're going to ones that are going to push you forward because everybody knows that you're going to have bad days. Well, it's what you do on those bad days that make the difference. It's how you react, because the only thing you can control is your attitude if you're having that bad day and I've done it before where I'll call Kev up and I'll be in the, in the buggy and I'll be like, man, it's, it's a bad day. This is what's going on. And all of a sudden the the switch flips and it's like, okay, no, focus on what you need to do. You're there for all these people that are counting on you, change your attitude and get right and start making moves. So uh, I just feel like if you hang out with good firemen, that's what you're going to be. If you hang out with shitty firemen, that's what you're going to be, you know? So that, that's kind of my take on it.
1: Right they talk about you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with you become the average of that and, it, and you it sounds like there's a reason why things are cliche it's because they're true you know right. so you look around your circle at any given point in your life you can think back in your formative years and think about your circles and you were those people like you were absolutely those people you were never this like guiding light for any crew that you hung out with you were just the same people that hung around each mm-hmm. other and i feel i feel that When I got into the fire service, I was really lucky because I got in. I was lucky and unlucky. I got in late, so I got in, and all of my circle, Micah, Brian, Travis, Chris, all my guys that are the closest to me had already been in for a long time. So they they knew how to navigate this and i was easy you know it was easy for me to find my path cuz they showed it to me and my circle was the high performers so that's obviously where i wanted to gravitate to but it's the other way too if you hang out with the guys that bitch and complain the recliner riders the guys that don't want to train don't want to go to the slow stations you will become that person just mm-hmm. out of
0: curiosity what are you doing now i and i i completely understand talking about listening to our parents right when we're young our parents don't know yeah. anything what are you doing now to convince your your firefighters, your employees, to, to seek out that good circle of influence, to find those good people, to not, because I, I can only imagine, you know, I sit at the company officer level, but at the battalion level, your influence is pretty large. You can't, you got to be careful not to disparage those around you. You know, I don't want you hanging out with those folks. Well, hey, those folks work here too. But so how are you convincing your your good folks to hang out with good folks?
2: Yeah, I love that question. And I think the best thing that I can say is one, leading by example. So showing them and telling them my experiences that I've had throughout the 18 years that I've been doing this. Uh, And then also, I feel like at times it's, I'll try and pull them into that circle, right? Uh, You know, Kevin runs that, uh, the Dagum Fire Conference, Texas Fire Conference. Well, every, uh, well, this will be the second year that they've run it. uh, And the first year, we decided, or he decided, hey, we're going to do like a before the conference dinner. But I was like, man, all these people are going to be in our backyard. And we we live on a little bit over uh, two acres. I've uh, got a barn. It's just like the perfect setup to have people over. Like this is where the hangout spot is, I feel like pretty much. And that's what we intended it for. So you had all these people and I was like, hey, Kev, let's do the cookout at my house. I'll cook burgers. I'll do the, I'll do the work. I'll take that off your plate. Well, I live in the city that I serve, so like it's kind of the real middle point for all the stations. And I said, I called up my fire chief, and he supported. It. He was like, "Yeah, absolutely," because we were on shift. So one of my lieutenants was stepped up in my spot. I was off, so each unit got to rotate through. Well, they got to meet all the bear, bears of the oath cadre, uh, Chad Daly, like all these people that came through. They had an opportunity to interact with, and doing that, it's also I the intent is to, to kind of have that going on all the time. So if there's a podcast that I listen to, I'll throw it out to the Lieutenant's uh, text group. You know, I'll be like, Hey guys, this one really hit home. Y'all should listen to this. Um, you know, and, and I think the biggest part though, is just leading by example, showing them like, this is what it can be. And I've said it before. and, And meetings, like I pinch myself to a degree because I feel like, I mean, we're a three-station department. I'm on the northeast side of San Antonio. I'm a nobody from nowhere, you know, that, and now I have all these opportunities to go out and teach and go and and spread the good word. Um, And in doing that, I've learned that, man, this can be so good, but it really, all it takes is just hard work. It takes hard work. It takes consistency to always show up and perform. Uh, when you're, when that call drops so that people start taking notice that, Hey, Oh, this guy's squared away and he's got his stuff together. Well, I tell the folks, so the lieutenants, drivers, uh, firefighters on my shift, like, listen, I don't, I don't want to push this on you, but at whatever capacity that you're willing to, I want you to have the experiences that I've had. And I, my intent is to provide that to them in whatever way that I possibly can, whether that's that dinner that, you know, where they get to hang out with people or, Hey, you have a question and, and you want to reach out to somebody. Here's the phone number. Call them personally. You know, uh, don't just take my word for it, or don't don't let me be the middleman. Call them. Here's the number. Like they're they're genuine, down to earth people, and they'll listen to you and they'll give you an answer. Um, so I, I feel like that's kind of the way that I try and um, move that forward for for the folks that that I'm around. And so far, I feel like it's it's worked pretty well. No, that's
0: awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, one of the things about giving, like pushing things out like that, like sending out podcasts and then, and, and going out and doing the trainings with them and making that kind of that positive environment, you're going to motivate those people and those motivated people all tend to gravitate towards one another. The larger the group gets or the bigger the pull gets, right? The bigger the gravitational pull gets, it starts sucking other people into it. Good, wrong, mm-hmm. right or right or wrong, indifferent doesn't matter. It starts bringing them in. And then once the influence ball is rolling, it's hard to get. That momentum stopped. So that's that's an awesome awesome take on that for sure. Yeah, I think another <clears throat> excuse me. I think another uh,
3: thing that we all can agree on is starting them young. You know, get get in front of those guys early on in their careers. Get in front of them in the academy, uh, the recruitment process, all like that, all that stuff. You know, if you if you're recruiting the right folks and you're training them up from the beginning correctly, then it's a lot easier um, to get that buy in.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we have a guy that well he's been on a little over a year. He just uh got off probation not too long ago, but he's 19 uh or I'm sorry, he's 20 when he got in uh at Ciblo. And I actually found him through again. I feel like I'm going to say Kevin like 8 billion times on this, but Kevin lives in his neighborhood, right? And uh he his dad actually talked to Kev and was like, Hey man, like I, I know Live Oaks not hiring or whatever, but w- what other departments would you, would you suggest? Well, this uh this guy's name's uh Nick Delgado. Uh he got in and in his first year, he went to uh Dagum, he went to Mafsi. he went to uh the search class in the area, he went to the RIT class in the area, like just all this stuff. And I was sitting back like, Holy cow, man, like your exposure right away in your first year. Man, what I wouldn't give to go back and have that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that no shit I, there. Yeah, <laughs> like I was at I was at Dagum and uh, um, Chief David Pruitt and Sandy O'Malley and Justin Phrase were doing this uh, roof ops deal, and I, I had the opportunity to teach down there. Well, it's kind of on a little bit of a break. It was the the live fire evolution part. I'm just standing there watching this guy, and he Nick, he's on the roof and he's doing this vert vent cut, and I was like, dude, was like four months in at this point. And I was like, holy cow, man. Like, just I wish you understood how lucky you were to have this. And it's so cool because everybody on on that shift, you know, we've got another guy, his name's Michael Luga, man. Another guy that I would highly suggest you talk to. He's not a huge fan of these things. Like he'll listen to him, but he doesn't want to talk. But dude has so much to offer. And he's the one that took Nick under his wing. And uh they've been to MAFSY that he took him to MAFSY together. And man, just to have that. Stand back and that ability to just watch this whole thing unfold is just like uh, this is crazy, this is nuts. I think getting like,
1: like Micah was saying, when we indoctrinate these people early and we get them in, and that dude, that kid, he thinks that's life, he thinks that's what it oh. is, and that's totally. what it should be, right? We get him oh. in there, now he's out there four months in, and he's standing up on a roof, cutting a hole with these guys, and to him. He's, this is my job. I got into the fire service, right? But we look at it, we're like, oh, my God, you're so lucky. But if we just get this ball rolling towards that, because you look out the window, there's a conference near you. There's a place you can go. And even if there isn't, it's worth the money and time to go. Right. And if we can get these guys going right off the bat instead of having that, oh, I'm new, you know, I don't have any business doing this. I need to just be quiet and clean toilets attitude. Like if we can shift from that to making that the norm in the fire service, imagine where we're going to be in 5, 10, 15 years. We're living in this era of information right now. We're also living in the era of training. Like the resurgence and ability to get your hands on it is much greater than it has been in years past. And we're going to create
2: some absolute animals oh yeah yeah that Chiefs uh Chief Scott Thompson was talking and uh we were up at uh first in in Little Rock and he was talking about uh I don't know how aware of you you guys are of the the colony up in the DFW area right so yeah,
1: everybody's heard of the colony right
2: oh yeah absolutely right <laughs> they, they got it going on so he was talking about uh there was this project that they did they called it the colony project and that was when uh chief Thompson was first there and kind of it was the direction that they were going to take to get to where they are now. Uh, and one of the things that he talked about was he asked asked the fireman, like, define what a fireman is. What did you think it was when you got in? I explained that, right? And when he said that, I was like, man, that's a fairly that's a basic question, but it was like one of those dumb moments. Like, why didn't I think of that? So when I got back from that conference, I actually sat down with the lieutenants, drivers, firefighters, and I said, hey define a fireman. And I said, just take some time. And there was a whole list of questions that I gave him after I listened to to Chief Thompson. But that one specifically, it really hit home for me because if you just give them that, what they thought this job was going to be, man, they'll go like outside of the realm of comfortability all the time, because as long as you just feed that, Nobody thought that this job was going to be like what it is, right? Like, let's be honest. It's 60, like for our department specifically, 60% EMS, right? You guys That's taking applications? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. So nobody thought that. But if, if we're not getting the fires that they want to get, well, how do you provide that to them? You give it to them with training. You give it to them and you go out and you do the hard stuff with them. You do gear workouts with them. So they understand, like, this is what a fireman, this is what they thought a fireman was going to be because the things that they listed was, I want to be good at this job. Shit. And it's like, okay, well, that's not a problem. Easy. Right. So that's, that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when Chief Thompson said that. It was, it really kind of, I feel like that started the, the wheels spinning a lot faster when I got back from that and we started defining these things. It was pretty
1: cool. That's rad. Um, it, it also lends to the next subject you put on here. Well, let's just transition right into this. Cause we're, we're rolling on it. It's you said getting out of your bubble. You credited mm-hmm. this to to Chris Knutson up there in Tennessee, yep. but uh, let's talk about getting out of your bubble and, and what your thoughts are on that. Cause I know that we're all pretty much on the same
2: page with this. Yeah. So when I, when I started in 05, uh, you know, I, again, Chris uh, Knutson, he's the one that really kind of pushed me to do that. Like, I think it was 2007 or eight. I went to FDIC, FDIC for the first time. When I went there, my eyes were just open. I was like, wow, this job is amazing. Like, you can go talk to all these folks. Because back at that time, we didn't have podcasts. Uh, you know, Facebook was there, but it wasn't used for what it's being used for now, like, for the fire service. and when I went there, he, you know, he kind of pushed me to go. And when I went, it just it opened my eyes. And now going forward, it's like you go to all these different places. Like I had an opportunity to go to FDTN and do the live fire boot camp there, and you meet these folks and you get their phone numbers and you you continue to talk to them or you link up on Facebook. You know, went to Pensacola for uh, Water on the Fire, Bears of the Oath in Georgia. Like all these places, Uh, and you just learn that. It's not about always the, this is the way we've done it. And that's just how it's going to be. Why don't you think outside the box and go learn from other people and apply that to what can work for you. It's not necessarily that you're going to get something every time you go, but it's also a rejuvenation. Like I explained as my batteries will get low if I don't go somewhere. And then I'll go there and it's like this super recharge and you come back and it's just like, watch out. Cause it's Tasmanian devil at this point, like, I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, So I just think it's important to get outside your bubble because we got, I feel like our area got stuck for a very long time. When I first got here, it was the, oh, this is how we've always done it and don't ask questions. Right. And then you get these people start getting together and go into these conferences and all of a sudden it's, you're bouncing ideas off of each other. And now, this area is, I feel I feel it's a hotbed, the South Texas area of, hey, there's so many opportunities to learn from so many people down here. And now it's changed our area for the better because nobody's locked into that. I mean, I'm not going to say nobody because it ain't all unicorns and rainbows, but it's a lot higher uh, prevalence of people willing to listen and understand something so that we can move the area forward, not just sit back on our, on our haunches and be like, ah, eh, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah, I think we can all feel that
3: on some level. I got picked up with uh, my current department in 2005 as well, and Mm. uh, it wasn't until some very influential guys uh, made company officer that we started to make those changes. So, uh, you know, Jim Quillacies, the Scott Bakers, those kind of guys that I worked with came in and said, "We're not doing status quo is dead." we're we're not doing things just because we did it this way or we're not going to not train because it's a saturday or anything like that we're we're here to be great at this job and we're going to work hard to get there so how
0: how is your department i i know people have to self-motivate and i know that we can motivate them and they can do this on their own what what are some things maybe you've seen successfully that your or other departments are doing to help these guys get out to these classes you know budgets are what they are and I know yeah. our department to, to its credit really does try, um, but it's expensive, you know, you're six, seven grand a pop. And, um, so what are you guys doing? What are you having success with?
2: Yeah. So, uh, this year we actually did like 110% increase on our training budget. Uh, so when, when I moved over there, the budget wasn't great. And of course that was one of the things that the guys talked about, but even before I moved over to, to Cibolo, the guys were doing it, they were taking it out of their own pocket and going uh, Well, this uh, last fiscal year, I I approached our chief and said, "Hey, listen, I'd like to increase our training budget." So he gave some classes. You know, FDIC. He wanted to send you know three or four, and I was like, "No problem." So I built out the the deal for him, turned it into him, and then council approved it. Uh, You know, you look at our area, Live Oak. Those guys, they're nonstop, man. They're always sending people to go places. It's just absolutely crazy. And then further than that, the chief supports uh, that by department vehicle to drive or you know all the per diem necessary so we built that out in our budget uh to to just facilitate more of that outside of the bubble you're you know get outside of this area and go uh there's a lot of good opportunities in here and you know texas is a huge state so you can go up to dfw you know they got uh gone to texas and all that stuff you know first in is right outside of texas and arkansas it's not that far of a drive Um, so that's how we've done that. And then it's also those guys that go outside the bubble, we bring it back. And the folks, like I said, our, our department's very young. They're willing to listen though. And that's the greatest part about that department. Like they're not stuck. They haven't been there for that long where they're just, that's just what they're used to. Like, it's very easy. Like we talked about before, you can, you can indoctrinate them the right way. So I feel like that's what that's, what's made it very successful, uh, that we just have people that are willing to listen and at least try it out.
1: I think one of the, uh, one of the things I've seen, one of the models I've seen is uh, right up the street from where we're at in a place called Story County, they do, uh, and they're a small department, but they give every guy $2,000 a year. You get $2,000 a year to spend in a way that you see fit. The bigger department up here, Reno, does the same thing. I think it's a 1000 for them though. But you get the money to spend as you see fit. Obviously, it has to get approved. But it, it's good that they're showing their guys, we will allocate this much money for you to go somewhere. I know not all departments are rich. I know not everybody's got the funds, but it's harder when you have just a budget that says training on it, right? And then we get in a pinch here, we need this over here, and we're moving money around in a spreadsheet and we're not actually using these buckets for what they should be for. If we contractualize and give these guys you have this much money a year to do what you want with. If you want to spend it on a plane ticket or your enrollment fee or whatever you want, here's what you're going to give back to us. You're going to come back. You're going to teach a class on X, Y, Z. You're going to present your information, whatever it is, you know, that we work out as a training department. But I think that's a good model going forward to give these guys the incentive to get out of this bubble. Like, look, this is a thing we all do. It's a, it's a budgeted way we can all do this. I mean, what do you think? That's Chief?
2: Pretty cool too. So the, uh, Another way the area gets influenced is, um, you know, I started a RIT class. It was, uh, back in 06. and kind of a long story, but bear with me. So started out, uh, that I, I was at shirts there for about, I guess a year, maybe a little bit less. And we had made a few fires and I'd just come out. It's like, man, this is messed up. Cause the writ, the writ team consisted of like two dudes with a writ pack next to the mailbox and their thumbs in their ass. I was like, man, this ain't gonna go well. And furthermore than that, they're not—they're not, they're not uh, you know, actually doing any work that could be done for departments our size. I was like, man, we, y'all could be forced multipliers right now instead of just taking away from all the work that could be done. So I kind of approached the the chief and uh, my lieutenant at the time. And I was like, hey, I'd, I'd like to fix this. Uh, so took about a year to build out the entirety of the class. Well, the chief kind of said, all right. Everybody on suppression is gonna do this. So at that point, I'd been there a little bit over a year, uh, almost two, I guess. And he said, Everybody in suppression is gonna do it. So here I am, a firefighter that had, I guess at that point, seven years on the jobs, eight years on the job. And he was like, You're gonna teach everybody in suppression this, all the way up to the battalion chiefs. And I was like, Ain't nobody gonna listen to my dumbass. So kind of pulled some other people in to help get that going. And then we realized right after that that like we're not going to be our own writ team because we were operating automatic aid mutual aid like we're not going to be the ones that are out there so then we started this regional class through an organization called cso uh and it consists of all the chiefs in the area the northeast side of san antonio and we've been doing that i think we're going on our 11th year now uh the class is coming up april one two three and we do it once a year uh and it's changed the way that our area operates when it comes to that. Now you don't see people standing at the front. They're actually out there throwing ladders. They're walking around doing scene size-ups of their own accord and and doing things that that could be getting done before. To further that, uh, Captain Brian out of Converse, uh, he started a search class that has a lot of great information that he's gained from going outside of the bubble. And then Kev's got the, the engine ops class. So now you've got this three pronged approach and their classes are, this is the first year that they're doing it, but they're going to do it twice a year. Each search class will be offered and it's free of cost to the area departments. So twice a year, they're going to get a search class and twice a year, they're going to get an engine ops class. And then once a year they're getting the RIT. So that just narrows down the focus for our area that now we know what to expect from our automatic aid and our mutual aid uh, partners. And it's, it's going to be amazing, man. I like, I can't wait to see in five years what this looks like, because getting everybody on the same page is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, we
3: started doing uh, regional academies, thanks to Brian here, actually uh, spearheaded that program uh, 20 some odd years ago now, <laughs> and 20 plus years ago now. Um, and Brian really pushed for that regionalization because we work in a very similar um similar department we had right now three stations 18 on a day and we rely heavily on mutual aid and auto aid uh, rigs our first uh our first alarm structure fire is getting two out-of-county engines and uh an out-of-county uh, ambulance rescue ambulance so mm-hmm. and that's on our first punch yep. so we have to start early with training and stuff, uh, doing that regional Academy and then continue, which we're doing a great job of now we're doing monthly, uh, multi-company drills, uh, or battalion drills where we're inviting those, those actual rigs that are coming into on our first due to come and participate in these trainings with us. So, uh, I think that's a, a much needed thing for departments our
2: size. Oh yeah. What an undertaking too. I mean, jeez. That's a twenty years ago to start that man. Holy cow! Like that's awesome. And yeah, that, and Brian's a real renaissance imagine,
0: man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine the work that went into that, dude. <laughs> holy crap! It's it's more of a job for all the rest of the guys to keep it going. That that's yeah, right. that's the I think the hardest part is to to keep all these good things going is the hardest part.
3: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, everybody always thinks starting some starting something is the is going to be the big hurdle, but it's it's managing it as it grows and continuing to provide a good product that that truly is where the hard work comes in. I think. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because, we got so oh, the go department ahead. I work the department I work for now Cibolo, so we do auto aid because our city borders with with shirts the department I used to work work for. So on our box, you're going to get uh, four of the closest units between Shirts and Cibolo, and then one mutual aid company from the next closest city. Effectively, so we don't drain all of our resources. So effectively, what we're doing is we're leaving one unit in each city roundabout. Uh, if we get dropped on on a structure, uh, it it's pretty crazy, man. And, and and we do it closest unit dispatch between both of our cities, no matter what the call is so it's pretty neat like the guys can be at the the grocery store so shirts will come to R H E B, which is our local grocery store and they catch one of our you know medicals right there next to the grocery store and man it's it's been awesome to see that because it just those units get there quicker and they're serving the citizens faster which man it's just it's awesome so it's also weird though because like you said like the multi-company drills are bringing in those cities. Like we have the opportunity to do that quite often, which is awesome. Um, so I've been doing with uh, with my shift, we started doing a, a monthly uh, training evolution. Beginning of the month, I send it out to them. It details the entirety of the drill for the month. And then I go underneath that and I break down single skill sets that they can practice leading all the way up to that. Very last tour of the month, that's when we do that. So we'll, we'll get shirts to participate here and there. And, and just, it sparks that, uh, that, that competition, friendly competition, but competition nonetheless, cause you see somebody knock that out of the park or, or get a better time. Now they're going to go back and they're going to work on it. And that friendly competition is, has really rocketed us forward. I feel like.
0: Well, and I think it's so important cause you know, we, with the regional Academy, that's If your people's career starts that way that you work with your brothers and sisters and it starts in a system, it's, it's always been sad to me that we wax and wane mostly through leadership and budgets on our participation as a large group after the Academy, you know, some years we nail it. We get tons of good training in, we do run some big calls together. Chiefs are in lockstep. And then, you know, a year or two later, it it fizzles away for a year or two to, to changes. I'd sure would like to find a way to, that that's, the regional academy drives regionalization. And, you know, our department has done some really good things with auto aid, but we still can't in our entire north. And we have some large and small departments. We can't get on a closer unit, closest unit dispatch. And if you go to southern Nevada, it's been that way for 25 years, you know, with Vegas and Henderson. And these are huge departments, but it's so seamless and normal. They work together. They know each other. They don't care what color rig shows up because they're all different colors down there. No one cares. Yep. It's just, it'd yep. be great to see that continue to grow. And that's that same thing, being outside your bubble, having your own department be outside of its own bubble would be, mm-hmm. we got to find a way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The the citizen doesn't care what, what t-shirt you have on or what color rig shows up at their house either. And I think that's lost on the uh, county commissioners, board members, what, what have you sometimes.
1: So I think the outside your bubble thing too, we we tend to start talking about that and then we get into the conferences and traveling and doing this and that. But that bubble means just outside your department, right? You got to get just over the county line. You got to get just to the next city. You got to talk to your regional partners because at some point you will touch the same fire ground together. It's been nice with the regional academy system because we are comfortable with one another. You never get on a scene and don't know five or ten guys from the other department that are there, like how, however many guys are there, you know them. Because we mm-hmm. either went through the academy together or whatever the case may be, or somebody did. Somebody can walk up and break down the communication wall right away. But the operation, how are we operating when we get on the same scenes? That's something I think we need to find the same page more of. Um, we're close, but right there's going to always going to be some differences and uh, command structure all the way down to task level like we've got to get everybody playing together it can't just be chiefs meetings every quarter we've got to get the firemen playing with the firemen so
0: i think it's yep. a good reminder too just even in your own department you know I, I don't know how yours is but ours has a fair amount of overtime right now um due to a, 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 thankfully so a raise in minimum manning but no no raise in our overall staffing great great thing not a complaint at all but just to be outside the own bubble when you go work a different shift how are they doing this what are they doing with that maybe pick up things and not be afraid to pass that back on because i i I could speak for quite a few different departments even their own shifts are in their own bubbles at times you know people do things a particular way they staff particular way they operate a particular way so that's probably a good reminder too is to get out of your own bubble in your own department
2: Mm -hmm. yeah my lieutenants are really phenomenal about that uh They'll reach out to the, you know, the guys from shirts and they'll just say, Hey, this is what we're doing for training today. You guys interested? And they take them up on it quite a bit. So I I definitely have to commend them. And I can't say enough good about the guys that I get the chance to work with, man. It's just been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Well, there's
1: another perfect segue into uh, the next thing that you gave me on your list here. And uh, this is, this is a good one. You put the right, the right people promoting. And I think you say, "Oh, I love working with these these lieutenants, and I love, you know, these guys are getting this thing going." Well, that's because somebody promoted the right guy, clearly or Mm -hmm. gal. So let's dive in. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah. So what I've seen, and I'm sure that you guys would echo this, that you know, we've made this grassroots push about you know trainings, you know, now come back to the forefront. You know, we're we're not willing to accept this be a safety culture that 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 took hold for so long, right? And I love that and it's great, but we're taking back that fireman spot. Well, what about the rest of it though? You know, what about the company officer? And what about the battalion chief? What about the assistant chief and the chief? Cuz if you have firemen that are that are just ready and hungry, but then that next two levels up, three levels up, they're trying to, you know, crap on them all the time and be like, "No, they're saying how we're going to do it." Well, what good does this? What good did that do us? It's great that we're taking it back, but we also have to focus on those next ranks too. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, like when I took that that the position here at Sibla, when I was going through the process, I was like, I was very comfortable in the spot I was at. I had a great crew as a lieutenant on an engine. You know, we had we were running awesome calls. We were in sync with one another. But then I looked at, it, I was like, Hey, what else can you do? Like you formed this amazing crew as at at a station on one shift but could you do it with the entirety of a shift it was almost kind of a challenge to me i was like man like what can you do you know get outside of that comfort zone because i'm i'm not really growing like of course i was still pushing myself to get better at what i was doing but i was also very comfortable doing that because i understood how to how to push those guys i understood how to push myself i didn't i didn't know if i could do it at the shift level well when i took the position at siblo I started day one with, Hey, we're going to lay out these expectations. These are my list. Here's what I expect of you. Now I also grabbed my lieutenants and I said, I expect that you have expectations for your crew and they can be, they need to be in sync with one another ultimately. And they should be in sync with the department expectations as well as mine. But I want you to own that. and, And I want you to send it out to your crew. I feel like we, we have to have people in these positions that are willing to do the work, man. Like you, you brought it up, the, the, the recliner riders, like we can't, can't do that. Like we're here at work. We work a forty eight ninety six. uh, you know, so you work once a week roundabout, if that's, you're going to show up and you're going to, you know, check your truck or do your rig check. And then you're going to go sit on a recliner. I got, I don't have any time for you. Like, but now at that, that shift level, and luckily I don't have to, like I don't have to get any of these guys' butts because they're already out there doing it. Like most of the time it's like, man, I wish could get out of this damn office with all this horse crap admin work so I could go out and do more with you. Um but we have to take back those positions because I, I feel like if we're not, then we're not gonna we're not gonna get the effect that we truly intend for the entirety of the fire service. My holding point now is, you know. What about that next step? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I I feel like I have a lot left to do with the shift level uh, at my position right now, um, but we're going to open up for an assistant chief position. And I've had a lot of folks ask me, like, what's your thought? And my initial thoughts like, nah, heck no. <laughs> no, 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 not going Monday through Friday. I ain't doing that. But then I also go back to a a gentleman that was my assistant chief at Shirts and I watched him come in and he took an assistant chief position. He was a battalion chief up in the DFW area and his name's Kyle McAfee. And he went up through the ranks the right way. He came into Shirts and made relationships with the guys and then he understood and didn't revert into that mindset of what we're used to of, I'm just an admin chief, you're gonna do what I say and I don't care about you he cared about the boots on the ground to an extent that he would have the boots on the ground over to his house for like get togethers. And I saw that and I was like, Whoa, this dude still gets it because he went up through the ranks and he wasn't so far removed from a rig. You know, when I saw that, I used to say, there's no way I ever want to do that. But then I saw him do that. And I was like, Oh wow. I saw the benefit. If we can start taking back those positions with the right people. And it goes from the bottom all the way to the top. Could you imagine how, this fire service would change. It would just be like, it would be insane to see that. Like, I'm sure that you guys have done the exercise, like build your, your fantasy fire department, right? (laughs) I've always thought about that. Like I've got friends we'd talk about all the time that, Hey, could you imagine? Let's just start our own fire department. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) I'm like, I would love to do that. Um, but I think we have to have that, that grassroots push from the firefighter position working its way up through. And we have to remove that, uh, that fear of of being uncomfortable and wherever you're going to head to. Because if it's the right thing for the department and if you keep that mentality going through, like never forgetting the boots on the ground or the ones that matter, that's the people that we need to step up into these positions. Those are the folks that we need.
3: Yeah, one thing that I think we could be better at in the fire service is making those promotions that are perceived to be undesirable. uh, Making those more desirable by setting some Harder expectations and holding people to those expectations and allowing those upper uh, upper management positions out of their offices once in a while, you know yeah. allowing them to be a fireman again from time to time and not just piling on more and more and more uh, administrative duties and really putting an emphasis on getting back to their roots to remember why they're doing the job that they're doing. And I think that would help our younger folks um, and, you know, people that are thinking about promoting, but maybe they're thinking about it for the wrong reasons, you know, that they want to catch more overtime or, or not have so much responsibility by promoting, you know, so they can be a slug higher up, (laughs) Um, but they're good at test taking, you know, things like that. We could get rid of some of that stuff.
2: I think another thing we got to get rid of too, and the the whole i call them the check mark classes right like I, i'm sure you guys haven't right the fire officer one two right yeah i got that oh yeah so yeah I, we need to get rid of that i, I feel like because i'll tell you when i went through it i i did an online class because i was like man i'm just trying to get through this shit real fast i didn't learn a damn thing that book is just full of useless information it's so silly we need to get away from that. Like, I understand that we have to have something that, like, yeah, okay, you check this box. But let's make it more realistic. Let's send the let's send these guys to listen to people that actually have gone through the job and have done it right. Like, you look at the Chief uh, Mo Davis, Chief Clyde Gordons. You want to be a battalion chief? Go damn right out with those guys for about you know one tour, and it's going to change your mind on what this job is about. If we could just get away from these checkmark classes, and then we put this high precedence on you know, formal education. Like I get it. And, you know, ideally if you had the formal education as well as the job level knowledge and experience, I'm down with that, but don't just default to, I'm only going to you know sit there and and focus on education only because that formal education ain't going to do a damn thing for you when shit's burning. I'm telling you right now, like they don't care if you know how to work an Excel spreadsheet, it doesn't matter. I I just, I feel like that's been kind of a downfall of the fire service. We've relied so heavily on these checkmark classes when it comes to promotional opportunities. Like that's just garbage. Yeah. We keep
1: keep creating paper tigers. The weight that's placed on... Uh, Formal education has been challenged multiple times before, right? People are like, oh, we should get rid of this this requirement for formal education. And the comeback that we hear so often is, well, at least it shows that they can complete something and they can do something. You know that about a person. You know that when you talk to a person. You know that from their history. We don't let guys that have been there for a year apply for assistant chief. Or battalion oh. chief, you know what I mean? There's, there's time requirements that guys have to be in. You know, they can complete something or you don't based on their performance leading up. Just because I provide you with my University of Phoenix, you know, degree in business management, which has absolutely fucking zero to do with what we do, doesn't mean that I can complete things. I, I do find that occasionally down the road, there may be some benefit. Like I've always said, you don't want a doctor who didn't go to school, but he went to school to be a doctor right if you offer a masters program in how to be a fire service battalion chief if that was an offered program somewhere maybe we could put weight on that but to say you have a business management degree or you have a emergency management degree from xo university it doesn't mean shit well it's it's mm-hmm. funny our uh, our city's not special i'm sure th- this happens
3: coast to coast but you get somebody with a business management masters and guess how they run the fire department like a business and the folks that are running yep. the calls, the guys in uniform, the boots on the ground, are getting treated like ones and zeros or numbers on a spreadsheet, not like they should be treated. Yep.
0: We just have to Sweet. find a better path. That you know, we, um, I th- like you are saying, and I think all of us are saying how much better we've got at the low end training. We're getting better and better at the academies. You know, our academy when I started twenty five years ago was um, was Two weeks long, and usually two or three days of that was getting your gear collected and driving to the stations. You know, now we're at 15 weeks of intensive training. So we've gotten better and better at the bottom. We send more people to conferences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, like so many other thousands of departments, we don't do leadership training, we don't do promotional training. And that's not a critique on us. It's just more of an observation that I've just I've never quite understood that in the fire service that we spend so much time in such good ways building good firemen, but we're not continuing that type of education. I, I've waited many years um, to have that level of education, and I look forward to it. I keep hearing it's coming, um, and and that's something we can still do regionally too. I can learn how to be a company officer from you just as you can from me. It doesn't it doesn't matter what department we're at. Because at the end of the day, it's pretty damn similar. You know, I'd say it's about 95% the same. So it's just something that, you know, we, we should also be working on.
2: I think, you know, the, the thing that I try to rack my brain with is, you know, now at the shift level, I'm like, hey, like kind of what you were talking about. How can I pass on what I've learned and how can I uh, further my education as well, though? So what we did is uh, we actually started reading a book. So the three lieutenants on my shift and myself, the first book we did was The Nine L's. And what we would do is a chapter every tour. So we, on our four days off, we'd read the chapter, uh, make highlights and notes. And then that following tour, we would go over uh, the notes and we would just have an open and honest conversation with the four of us. So we did that with the nine L's and then, you know, selfishly, we read uh report from engine company, 82, Dennis Smith, like phenomenal book, yeah, easy read. We went through it in like three tours, but now we're in the middle of chief Scott Thompson's book, the functional fire company. And man, learning from them, like what it's done for me is I understand how they take in information and then I'm able to provide them my side of it. And maybe some of the experiences that I've had throughout my, my career. And what I've found that it's just, that's a good way to get that leadership training because I also know that they're being, you know, it's something that we have to do. I understand. And again, getting back to those checkmark classes, I get it. Like, this is a box that we have to check to get to the next level right now. What I am saying though, is I feel like we ought to really look at that and see if there's a better way of doing it. Because what I've seen from my guys is through reading these books and through uh, the conversations we've had their leadership styles have morphed and they are doing more with their companies as a leader now from when we started. And I feel like that's kind of that um, proof of concept almost like this stuff works, just spend time with one another and understand each other and get to know how each other intake information that way, when a situation comes up, hey, no problem. I understand how you how you take in information. Now I can get my point across to you, and then you can take it forward to your people, and it change your, changes your mentality of the way that you're going to deal with people, too. I mean, I just feel like there's, there's such a better way to do this. We just got to get away from this. Hey, okay, this is the curriculum, and we're going to go through these steps, and this is what it is, man.
1: I agree 100%. And if you had an interview, let's say you did take this assistance chief's interview, and they sat down and they said, well, what have you done to better yourself as a leader? And you had person A say, "You know, um, I got my fire officer three, and I got my uh, associates in business management, and I took an accounting class because I know we're really budget heavy, and you had all this shit. And then I sat you down and I said, what have you done to better yourself as a leader in the past year? And he said exactly what you just said. We started reading the these specific books, the 9Ls and uh, Scott Thompson's book, and we threw in a fun one there. But then we created a group with me and my lieutenants, and we all sat down together and kind of bounced ideas, and you created this environment, right, to better yourself as a leader. I went and rode out with this other battalion chief. I took uh, Kurt Isaacson's boot camp, uh, battalion chief boot camp, you know, these types of things. That's the leaders we want in the fire service, the guys doing these proactive things that are engaged in the fire service still, so... Yeah, it's unfortunate. When I became a battalion chief, uh,
3: oh, shit, four or five years ago now, um, <clears throat> I was when I was a company officer thinking about becoming a battalion chief, I started down the path of getting my EFO from the National Fire Academy. So I wanted to get my executive fire officer, and it was just a goal that I had for myself. I didn't know if I was ever going to promote again or anything like that. I just wanted to have it. And, and uh, they used to have two tracks. So you could do the educational track or the uh, training track is what they called it. And I was well on my way of that training track. Um, Then I promoted to to battalion chief, um, kept working on that EFO in my spare time, um, trying to solidify some mentors and stuff like that, some other requirements for that um, program. And then uh, COVID hit. So they shut Mm -hmm. the whole program down and then they came back out with a the revamp new program. And now you can't even apply. You can't do anything unless you have a bachelor's degree. So they completely erased the training track. So I just threw at this point, it's like, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going back to restart all this stuff. So.
2: Yeah. We have a, we have a state. Well, actually there's two uh, state executive fire officer deals. So, One's through uh, Teaks at a college station and another one's through the Texas Fire Chiefs Association, whatever. Like, and it's great. I think that the best thing that that provides you is exactly what you started to talk about the mentors. Like you get to understand and meet with those guys that are working on the same thing that are headed in the same place that you're headed. Now you have contacts in your phone, like to, to check in and be like, Hey, like we had this opportunity to be there for a week, two weeks, whatever it is. Right. And each one had to do a project or whatever, and you you get to know these guys. So I think that that's that's great. Well, they they have the same deal. Like it's either bachelors or you have to have officer three four. Like why even have those? Like why have those prereqs? Like it, it's that's silly. Like you're eliminating people from that program that could maybe be benefited by it just because they don't have this piece of paper. Like get out of here, man! Like you're crazy. I couldn't agree more.
3: I I just <laughs> I don't see the value
2: in it. Yeah. But, you know the the funny thing is, I feel like you you know for you, you guys have this opportunity to talk to so many people. Like, this is your your executive fire officer right here, man. Like, this is where you're going to gain it all because this is what matters. Like, the opportunities that you guys are, are presenting to to the greater, uh, broader scope of the fire service. This is what it's about. And to hell with all those papers because this is this is where I get my information. I get my information from co- podcast and listening to people that are much better than myself that I'm able to take their lessons learned throughout their career and then put it into practice when I go to work. Yeah. And I, I I, I can't,
3: yeah, I can't even express, uh, the gratitude that I feel for, for you and everybody else that's, that's, uh, given us the pleasure of, (laughs) coming and talking to us because we're a bunch of nobodies from nowhere also and it's <laughs> it's so beneficial for for me personally to have these open discussions and because every time we do a podcast I got a page full of notes afterwards and for however long I'm sitting there th- going over this stuff thinking about new ideas thinking about different ways that I can approach training or or coaching or whatever it is in the fire
1: service that's applicable to what we actually do it just is so beneficial it is. It's amazing that's, to yeah. have the opportunity to ask whatever questions we want to ask, right? He, Lj gave me an assignment when we did this. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's
2: working Sounds on a like new. LJ. He did. He said working
1: on a new class, and he said, "Hey, man, write me some stuff on, uh, you know, how one person can make an impact on an organization." And I said, "Okay, I'll do that." So I sat down and ended up busting out like a page and a half of notes for him, getting an assignment. But it got my brain thinking. It got me diving into stuff, and that's these are the opportunities that are out there. So it's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: I've got a cool opportunity. So I pick up my daughter from school and you have to be there like super early, right? Otherwise you're in line for forever. And luckily with my schedule, I leave the house at 150 and then I get in line right at about two o'clock and I sit there from two o'clock to one 30 or to three 30, sorry. And I have my spiral notebook and I put a, a podcast on and I'll just sit there and listen and take notes and then you know i'll send out like as i'm sitting there listening to this stuff i'll be texting the lieutenants on my shift like hey guys check this one out this is what i've learned so far and then i'll send them you know snapshots of my notes or whatever i mean the the what what you guys do what what danny from uh student of the game and corley and all these guys are doing uh feel like it's just that circle is shrinking it's so much more readily available you know Legier talks about um uh negligence right and you you can be uh negligent or you shouldn't be negligent right so what that means is that the information is out there all you have to do is just go open a damn book or go pull up your phone and put a podcast on it's like i feel like there's no excuse to be negligent in the fire service anymore because of how much information is out there and it's just readily available at your fingertips Cause you got that little damn computer in your pocket all the time.
3: I was just going to say there's, I don't care what anybody says that that opportunity sits in your pocket all day, every day, all day. day.
1: Oh, we we went down the rabbit hole on that one. That was good. I like that, man. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things I did want to mention, uh, talking about the right people promoting, and we kind of touched on it. Uh, Mike actually said it, but I want when I was listening to uh, your scrap with Corley, you talked about setting expectations. And then failing by not holding people accountable to set expectations. Brian and I and Micah have been going round and round for it seems like months at this point about expectations and accountability and what rules we follow and like all of this. It's, it's way bigger than just. A sentence right? right but i do think one of the biggest problems is we harp expectations 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 you took a you take a company officer test and they tell you what are your how are you going to set expectations for your crew they never follow it up with how are you going to hold them accountable after you set those expectations and when you said it it i wrote it down immediately i pulled over on the side of the road i said i got to bring this up so yeah i j- wanted
2: j- to j- text
3: me
1: <laughs> it pulled over and text me too hey i got you
3: got to
2: listen to this <laughs> so the accountability side like how do you how do you do that well as i'll tell you as a company officer the accountability uh and i can remember very vividly some some opportunities where accountability was put into play uh one there was a we worked on the highway so uh, my station that i worked at was on 35 and we had a high prevalence of mvcs and obviously vehicle fires well we we went to this vehicle fire and it was a, um, F three fifty towing a 57 Chevy, like beautiful car that had been restored. Well, somehow the, the car that was on the trailer caught fire and we get there and I give my scene size up and we, we go to work. Well, I got so fed up and I, I probably ought to preface this. Like <laughs> my wife explains, uh, how I am as I idle high. Uh, I have no on and off switch. Like I just deal with, stuff like that fast and i i can't turn it off when i'm at home either and that's a problem that i'm working on like i have to work on because i'm not being a good human being if i'm not working on that but when that occurred what i ended up doing because i was so fed up with, with what was going on it took them forever to do the stretch it took them forever to get water on the fire and then they're standing there looking at this car burning rather than getting on the damn trailer and going and putting water on the fire so i kind of held my tongue because again I, I said i'm trying to work on myself as well So we get back and I'm thinking all the way back, like, okay, you set these expectations, you set this high standard, but you didn't even say anything to these guys. So we get back and I'm watching them high five and shit. And I finally, like, i had had enough. Like, I knew that it was going to boil over if I didn't address it. So I sat down on the tailboard and I said, y'all really think that we did a good job out there? Like, we literally could have saved that car, but because you guys didn't do what you needed to do that car burn more than it needed to. And when you have, like you have to be willing to have those tough conversations. Like you can't just let it go because what I found that it does to me is kind of that snowball effect. Like you let something go and like, it might not be a big, big deal right now, but you let that one thing go and then you let another thing go. And then you let another thing go. And all of a sudden, like I'll just explode. So what i found is I have to uh, deal with the small things up front. If we set a precedent or a standard for our shift, which we have done, we have a standard set for ourselves that when we hit uh, training or fires, our expectation is that we're going to, when the air brakes hit, we have one minute to have the line deployed and flowing water. Everybody's going to mask up under 20 seconds. No questions asked. If we set those and we don't hold ourselves accountable, now we've got a problem. And what I'm not saying is, okay, you miss it one time and we're just going to, like, you're fired or I'm going to write you up. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we started with, hey, this is the standard where, or this is the line we're at now. We started capturing times and through training. And then what my idea was is we're just going to drive those times down till we get to a level where we're comfortable like this is the time standard that we're going to set. If you don't hit it, that's fine. But that means that you have to do the work and you have to go train. And if you can't do it, then I'm going to go out there and do it with you. Because maybe most of the time I feel like it's folks haven't been taught how to do things. And it's simple stuff. Like, it really is. So like mask up drills, I was with Nick the other day and, you know, they were going in the bay doing stuff and I, I was watching them. I was like, hey, there's a better way of doing that. So I showed them the little trick with gloves on, like throw your hood off to the side so you can hook it and do all that. Right. And as times dropped so significantly and I was like, well done, man, like that's awesome. But most of the time, all it is, is people just don't understand. You have to be willing to go out there and be that mentor and be that person that's willing to uh, teach somebody. And then also show them, hey, I'm not afraid to fail. Like, I'm not afraid to go out there and look stupid on the training ground because it might be something that I've just never done before, but I'm going to go out there and learn it with you. So, you you know, I I agree that the accountability side is the most important side. It's simple to make a list of expectations. The first and foremost expectations that that we have for our shift, though, it starts out with Everything that we do is gonna be set to what the citizens expect. All the rest, I don't give a shit really. Because I know what the citizens expect, because I I live in the city. I sleep in the city. And when I'm when I'm off, if I'm incapacitated in my bed, I know exactly what my expectation is. I, I there's no more work that needs to be done on setting expectations. All you got to do is go out and do the work. So literally on our expectations, it says all all standards following below are set to what the citizens expect, and then I put the quote from Chief Mo Davis that I heard uh, when he was at third co- at the third Coast Conference. Shit, that was ten years ago or so. But he hit me. He hit the the group with this, and he said, "When the citizens lay their children to bed at night, we are their keepers." I was like, "Oh, wow." That that's all I needed to hear. I was done at that point. I was like, all right, cool. Like this is where I'm. This is where I'm headed towards. You listen to the guys like Cody Testrel. You know, he went out into uh, up in the Northeast and he went out to that open air area with his wife, and they're asking people, you know, what's your expectation of the fire department? And of course, they say mostly the same thing: put the fire out. Come and get me if I'm, you know, inside a burning building. You never once hear. And I'm not gonna knock it, but I, I do feel like. You never hear them say like, "I want you to mitigate a hazmat emergency." I want you to dangle off of a rope and rappel down to me. Like none of that shit. They'll never say it. But yet we put all these high precedents, and I feel like this is where the fire service has kind of done a disservice to ourselves, is we've said yes, nonstop. You know, however many years ago we weren't running EMS, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have to justify our existence. Why? Okay, fires are quote unquote down whatever man like it doesn't matter because ain't nobody else getting called when a fire drops you ain't calling pd or your ems organization you ask these people the the citizens in your community what they expect of their fire department and i feel like that's where our focus needs to be like headed at and if we set our expectation to that and then on the back side you hold people accountable and again, I'm not talking about writing them up. I'm talking about going out and spending the time to make sure that they're understanding of the expectation and when they're not willing to meet it, understanding why they're not willing to meet it. Is it because they can't? Well, that's an easy fix. All you got to do is just teach them how. But if 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 they won't and they don't care, all right, now that's that's another time. Now we're going to have to really focus in on that because that might be the time where we have to start that paperwork trail and get rid of it. like. But I always start out in default with maybe it's because they don't understand how to do it. And I feel like that's the first thing you have to do is you have to understand, hey, they've never been shown how to do this or they've not been given a good example of what a leader looks like. They don't understand that, you know, and it's the simple stuff too, like cleaning a station, right? If you if they've never seen or if they were come up under a company officer that was like, oh, I'm going to go do paperwork while you guys clean the, the station. Well, maybe just show them that, hey, that's not how this is going to roll anymore. When I go and eat dinner with all three stations because I rotate around, I will absolutely not allow anybody to touch my plate. You're not going to take my plate, and I understand you're trying to do it for the right reasons, but you're not going to do it. I'm going to wash my own plate, and I'm going to wash the dishes because you guys cooked. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to help you clean up because I don't expect that you're going to do that for me. I mean, I feel like we have to get past that shit, too, of as you, and you, know, you kind of brought it up as you promote up, you do less work. Hell no, nope. it's more work. It's more it, it's, work it should be, it should be right. Yeah. It should be more work because I'll tell you what, when I leave state or when I leave the department after my 48, I am dog ass tired. And it's not because I ran a shit pot of calls. It's just because I worked my ass off for those 48 hours because I'm trying to prove to them, Hey, this is where we need to be headed. If you're not setting an example, then how are you going to expect that they're going to get better and that they're going to do the right thing?
1: I think you it's funny, to, you know. little comparison. As we climb a ladder, right? We throw a ladder or we put the stick up. As we climb a ladder, the farther up the ladder we get, the harder the job gets, right? Because awesome. at the end of that ladder is the roof or the window or whatever. It, it's the same with promotion. The the farther yep. you climb up the ladder, the tougher the job is going to get. So I, should. You guys should really <laughs> embrace that. Yep. Yeah, the, the uh, two big things that I just took from that.
3: Number one, has your wife been talking to mine? <laughs> <laughs> my wife literally just told me the other day that, that you idle at 99. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, Oh, yeah. And uh, and it's at that, that normalization or... Uh, m- that deviant, uh, normalization normalization of deviance, you know, um, about holding guys accountable and, and making sure that those, um, expectations that we set are being lived up to, right? If I let this thing go and then that thing goes, you know, we've, we've heard it in the fire service a bunch of times. It's not what you preach. It's what you tolerate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So hey, that- you know, and I feel like it comes to a point where you have to be willing to throw yourself out there. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I went to uh it was right after I got on at Ciblo, it was winter, and our Goodwill store, they've got a donation drop-off place. And we got popped out on it said structure fire. So all these units coming, I get there give my scene size up. It's a simple, easy like the piles outside, but it had broken through the glass doors smoked out the whole goodwill and all that kind of crap. Well, when we got done there was a lot of hiccups. So, uh the engine wasn't spotted all that well. Uh you know, I sent the the ladder company to the back to get on the roof to check for extension. Uh rather than throwing the aerial, they they decided to throw 35 and that didn't go well even though they were practicing it. Uh and when we got to the room uh to go over this the that that next day, I started out This is where I messed up. My radio comms are garbage. And yes, we have crap radios like we're in Harris and they're garbage. But my modulation was very low. And that's not the radio's fault. All I had to do was be louder. And I'm very capable of being loud. I just didn't do it. And I didn't tell the engine where I expected them to park. That's my fault. So I think showing them that I'm willing to own my mistakes, but I'm also not going to let this thing go because we're going to get better every time that we go out the doors. Set that, set that precedence for them, like show them that, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm human. Contrary to popular belief. I'm not a robot. Like I'm, I'm a human being and I'm, I am fallible and I will fail. I'm okay with that because the next part is I'm going to get better. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to own my mistake. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to work on making it better in the next time because it ain't going to happen again. You know, and, and I feel like so many times people just want to hide the mistakes rather than owning them. Just own it. Own it first and then do the work to get better. Yeah, it's,
3: it's not easy. It's not difficult, right? So um, guys just got to be willing to willing to do it, right? So uh, these guys can tell you every time we catch a job or, or run a any kind of a call that requires an after action, we'll do a tailboard real quick. And that's my first thing that I do at my tailboard is, hey, everybody, these are the things that I did incorrect or didn't crush, you know, and uh and here's the areas where I can improve on the next one and then I go around the horn, you know, how comes. I w- I want feedback from all of my guys to tell me how I did my job first. And then mm-hmm. we'll work our way down the line. Yep. So
1: that's a good precedence that way when we do when he breaks it down, I've been on many fires or many incidents where he's done that and it makes it easier for the next person to step up and say, well, this is this is where I could have been better, right? And it yeah. it's not pointing a finger. It's already. I've already pointed the finger at myself, so it's easy for you to go. You know what? I'll do the same thing, and so somebody else doesn't have to. Creates a yep. good environment. Well, I think we covered that one pretty good. Let's uh, let's jump down the list here and get to this one. I know you got a passion for it. Rit. You just put rit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I already kind of told the story about how uh, you know how the the class came to be. Um after after i guess it was well it's been three years now uh i got with uh matt valdez who uh, he's the owner of mv fire rescue here in in uh san antonio and i was teaching with the engine ops cadre and i knew that he was kind of looking for a rick class and i was like hey man i've got this this product i think it's pretty cool um like what would you think about offering that through the company uh and I'll tell you that the the class how it was built first off is what I did, and it's going to sound really weird, but I took NFPA 1407 and I just shotgun it onto a on a PowerPoint. And then what I did is I started going back to the the classes that I had taken, the the lessons that I'd learned, uh, you know, all the the NIOS reports that I'd read, and in doing that. I thought, all right, I've got a good class, but this can't just stay how it is. It's just like you guys were talking about with your regional academy. I'm sure that it's changed and it's changed for the better because it has to be continuous improvement throughout in order to keep it relevant. Otherwise, it's just this is horseshit that's just been from like 10, 15 years ago and it's no longer relevant. So now what we've done is we've taken all of these classes that we've had opportunities to go to uh, from my first uh, rit class through uh, Pigeon Forge Fire to uh rick combat drills from fdic with Ch- chief crawford uh to one bad day to the lessons learned from fdtn uh at the live fire boot camp and then all the other guys had gone to Bears of the oath classes the are rid or die and all this stuff now it's just a culmination like we don't own anything anymore in the fire service like it's been done thousands of times before of us now it's just figuring out what's relevant now and then we we took this class, and we, you know, we've had an opportunity to teach it outside uh, at organizations down south, and then you know, other places. And I'll tell you the the beauty of the the down south classes. So in the valley in, in Texas, uh, we've been down there three different times to teach this. And when, when I first went down there, uh, you know, we were down there with the group, and we were talking uh, through the lecture, and I said, "All right, so here's like." talking about rip bags and i was like you guys have rip bags right in there nod the head and i was like all right cool go grab it let's let's talk about this thing for a minute so they bring this bag that looks like a harbor freight bag in and it's full of like screwdrivers and wrenches and that's it and i was like oh wow we got a lot of work to do but then what i've seen so the last time we went down was just a few months ago and now departments are buying the scott rip pack three when they come through the skills rotations, like we'll talk to them about whether it be, you know, a mass changeover or MMR changeover or whatever it is. Like, have you done this before? And they're all like, yep, we've done it because the guys are passing on the information. Um, I just I, I'm very passionate in that. And I, I go back to what uh, there was a mega scrap with uh, Robert Mears, Basil and uh, Jim, uh, M- Jim McCormick from um, FDTN. And what Jim said is he said, uh, you know, we, we've we been using RIT as a guise to teach the basics because really that's all RIT is. It's just a culmination of all the basics because you got to be good at throwing a ground ladder. You got to be good at search. Now, there are some modalities that aren't considered basic, I guess, when you get down to, you know, packaging and shit like that. But another thing that I took from FDTN was we, we changed the class because we used to show all this crazy shit with webbing. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just when when I showed up the morning for that uh, evolution at the live fire boot camp, Sandy Lasso was the instructor there. And they give you about an hour of instruction, then it's all right, time to do. Well, they send you in, and the evolution effectively is there's a down fireman on the end of a, a hose line, and you got to go in and get them out. Well, I don't know if you guys have been to FTTN, but when they burn, they freaking burn, man. And I got in there, and my mindset was like, I have all these cool, like, this webbing in my pocket. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go kill this. And I get in there. And I'm like, forget that stuff. Like it's too freaking hot. And I found out very quickly why on the back of their shirt, it says the basics always work because that's what I reverted to. I re- reverted to basic drags, basic carries and basic packaging to get that down fireman out because I was not about to play this game of, Oh, I'm going to pull this webbing out and I'm not going to be able to see where the hell it's at when we got that. And then further than that, we went up to, uh, First, in listen to Rob Ramirez, and he gives a very, very data driven class. His made a mindset. When he talked, he he gave this um, percentages, and like I can't remember the percentage. I've got it somewhere in my notes, but effectively, most rescues are three. You have to be three foot and below because of the heat, and it's some god awful amount of percentage where you're just not going to be able to see. So that's how we have to be training. We have to be training where we can't see. Now, I'm not saying start off that way. But eventually we have to get to that. So further than that, I also, you know, learning from Basil, like the, the whole force multiplying thing, like it's it's a proactive RIT. It doesn't mean that you just stand in the front yard and insert your thumb in your butt because departments are size. Yeah, we're getting five units, but in two BCs, but like, hey, why does it mean that the rick team just stands at the front door? Like that doesn't have to mean that if there's not ladders where they're operating, if they're on, you know, Alpha Bravo or whatever, and they're operating on two, go throw a damn ladder up there. Like, what are you standing around not listening to what's going on for? You know? Uh, So, and again, I told you, like, it's changed the mindset of our area for the better, I feel like, too. Uh, And I I take zero credit for that. Like, it's, it's all the credit is due to the guys that teach with me because they never stop learning. They never stop going to classes. And then further than that, they're always willing to put into the students that show up feel like that's the special recipe that you know that cadre has is these guys care they give a crap and when we go places that's the feedback we get is it's not just a cattle like shoot that we're just trying to funnel students through that's not what it is like we'll stay i don't care the class said that it's supposed to be over at five if you got questions like i'll show you other shit like we're not going anywhere because we're here to to give you what you guys actually ask for. Uh. So I think that's kind of the, the RIT side is, uh, seeing that change in our area has been something amazing. And again, all credits due to the, to the guys that I get an opportunity to teach with. Like, I'm just very lucky to have that group. Um, uh, they're my second family. Uh, they're, they're some very special people in that group. Uh, and, and I'm very appreciative of them.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> I, I think packaging. Uh, I'm glad that you touched on that. Packaging is was one of those things when I was coming up in the fire service. Was like you have to know how to do a Swiss seat and do all these tricky webbing packages and all this stuff. <clears throat> uh, turnouts now come with a DRD in them. Like pretty much across the board, every single set of turnouts sold has a drag device in it. Air packs are now integrating drag devices on them. You, you don't have to do that anymore. And it's, it's funny, I think back to 20 years ago when Brian taught my academy and he's like, you're five feet away from a door. What are you doing building a rope system? <laughs> Just grab them and drag
1: them outside. It's pretty simple. I do think you know if we 're going to go vertical with a with a down firefighter upstairs, out a window, anything like that, our packaging but our our harness conversion from our pack I think is a very useful tool for that, um, yeah. but the building of these Swiss seats and things like that is just it 's too much it 's too much time it 's too time consuming and under the conditions that would that could possibly justify a writ or made a situation. Again, like you said at FDTN, it is fucking hot in here. We got to get the fuck out. So if yep. your mind is able to operate like that under mm-hmm. those stressful conditions and you're able to build that Swiss seek more power to you. But I think we should be teaching an easier way, right? The basics yeah, never fail, for sure.
0: Yeah, we, we spend all this time and money teaching ICS. You know, you if you do ICS right, you build it as you need it. If you're doing mm-hmm. RIT or dummy drags, don't build it if you don't need it. If you can put a hand on someone, that's all you need. If I need two hands, if I need a rope, if I need webbing, build it. You know, so at, at, the basics are always there. You always have something cool in your pocket. I don't go anywhere without webbing. People make fun of me. Yep. 20, foot of web, 20 feet of red webbing. You can almost do anything. I can rebuild a yep. whole building with it. But <laughs> just only pull it out when you need it. That's right. One of the things we, uh, we've
1: we been talking about recently uh, with RIT is because of the – we teach a search class, and it's been pretty hot and heavy lately around here, and we really dove into a lot of the numbers from Firefighter Rescue Survey. And, of course, one of the numbers that pops up when you talk about RIT is 9% of Maydays are solved by a RIT team, but – I think where we made the mistake was we we gathered this information, and went, oh, let's deprioritize our training on this because it's such a low percentage. We'll prioritize our training on these higher percentages. I think we did ourselves a disservice by doing that. And Brian and I and Micah have been talking in detail about this. When it does come down to that nine percent, we really need to be on the ball and have our shit wired tight. So, just an well, no, interesting exactly. observation. But
2: percentages too, though. Like you look at it right. So it's. The person rescues themselves first. Then it's their crew. Then another interior operating crew, and then we get down to RIT. Well, I feel like what we're missing is some of that information. What I'd love to see is, hey, and I, I'm probably too late at this point, but going forward, what I'd love to see is when we gather the information. Have you had survival or RIT training? Because if you have, well, now guess what? That's how you rescued yourself. <laughs> if you were in, if they, you were their crew. Have you done RIT training? Okay, guess what? You were just an interior operating RIT crew. That's all you were. Same goes down. Like it. It doesn't. I don't feel like it necessarily uh, means that we we downplay that training level. It just means that we have to look at it a little bit differently because there's things like I know when I started, it was hey everybody changes their radio channel. Well, is that the best thing? Because if we're seeing these percentages of, you know, their crew rescues them if they get in trouble and then another interior re- or, uh, operating crew o- rescues them, don't let those fools change their radio channel because they may get some information that, they, oh, I'm right next to this fool. Like, I'm going to go get them. So I-, I feel like, yes, it, it's interesting. We should look at that. We should understand it. We should uh, make changes necessary to really to, to bolster that. Right doesn't mean that we downplay when a RIT actually or a Mayday occurs or we don't have a RIT team established. And I'm not saying, like, establish a RIT team before we get water flowing or search. Like, I I don't preach that. But what I am saying is when you can get them up and operational, they better damn well be ready because all it comes down to is time. Yeah, It you, comes down to how fast can you get to them.
3: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We, we've, we put the emphasis on their name tag or their position on the org chart on scene, not actually – the operation that they're, what they're actually doing, because you're you're absolutely right. The skills that they're using to self-rescue, or that the hose team is using, fire attack is using to rescue that person, are the same
1: skills that they learned in a RIT class, firefighter survival class. Yeah, the percentages are saying how many down firefighters uh-huh. are rescued by activating the RIT team and the RIT team getting them, not how many down firefighters were rescued with RIT skills. Right. And I think that number n- gets swept under the rug, right? And that's where we've done ourselves this disservice by not emphasizing this training on RIT uh, so much because we forget that even though it wasn't the RIT team, the skills used were RIT skills.
2: Yeah, yeah. Very and interesting enough, outlook. A huge talking point that I feel like is missed is what about let's look at how many maydays are missed and how many times do they have to call it before it's act- activated? And who's who's actually receiving that mayday? A lot of the times, it's not the uh, the IC on scene. And I, I feel like it's, one, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that ha- happening on their scene. Like, it's almost like they want to remove that from their head. Like, this is impossible on my scene. So how do we bolster that? Well, one thing that we did was the, uh, the RIT uh, officer, not that he has to stand right next to command, but he needs to have his radio all the way up. And he needs to be listening to those radio transmissions and changing position when those interior operating crews are changing positions. Because if the IC doesn't catch it, all you got to do is key up and say, hey, there's a mayday on the scene. This is the information they gave. Go to work. Boom, done. Right? I feel like that's a talking point that hasn't really been brought up. And you can go on YouTube and listen to all these maydays drop and listen to how many times they have to call it before most of the time dispatch calls it. Hey, you've got a mayday on your scene. Yeah, that that is absolutely a hundred percent
3: accurate. It, it, I wonder also how many maydays are are not being called because somebody yes. goes through a floor into a into the crawl space and self extricates or has a crew operating next to them that just gets them out, but no one ever yep. says anything on the radio. So we actually Correct. had a mayday, but nobody said shit. We just fixed Probably. it and then moved on. I
1: nope. think a lot of us have been on a oh shit. Where we probably should have called a Mayday and didn't for whatever reasons, right? The the shame of being the guy that called a Mayday, second-guessing yourself, whatever the case may be. I think we've all probably been involved in something where it could have damn well been a Mayday call, but we didn't. And then again, we don't collect the data. We don't know the numbers. We, we can't correct the situation. So interesting yep. as well.
3: Well, but huge shout out to the firefighter rescue survey and and Project Mayday and all those things, all those folks that are out there collecting the data. I mean, they changing the changing the way that we look at all this stuff in the fire service. So I I can't thank those guys enough.
1: A hundred percent, math, infallible science, right? If we can look at these numbers and, again, though, dig deep into what they really mean and find the the hidden messages within them as well, uh, we can start to dictate and shift the culture of training within the fire service to be as good as we possibly can be, for sure. Well, we're heading down to the final uh, final checkbox here. I know everybody loves a good checkbox. I'm just checking them (laughs) off as we go. That's why I said it. (laughs) There will be
0: a cert printed
1: at the end of this. Yes, we will mail. Everybody a cert. You can get a hold of us online. If you listen to this episode, we'll send your cert. You can print it on a water balloon (laughs) and then throw it at the fire because that's all a cert's worth. Those are Jim McCormick's words. That's right. Uh, Fitness and the fire service. So uh, it was funny when we started this podcast, we all sat around and we said, you know what? We're never going to talk about we're never going to talk about God, mental health, or fitness in the fire service. And not because we don't believe in any of those things, because we felt like there was better places to get that information. Like We sure. felt like we weren't the platform to, to talk about these things because they're such good places to go get all that information. What we quickly realized was it's not about us. It's about our guests, and they are the platform for this information. So if it's going to go through this podcast, great Let's have people who are passionate about these topics talk about it. So we've had several people on here talking about all of these topics now. So <laughs> let's dive in, man. Fitness, firefighting fitness.
2: Yeah, so um, I, I've i not been uh, accountable as far as fitness goes the entirety of my career. Uh, there were times when, you know, when I first got on uh, as a volunteer, um, you know, we had meetings Thursday nights and those, those trainings that were supposed to occur, what, what ended up occurring was it was kind of a boy's club. Right. And we'd eat pizza and and pretty much just dick off. Well, I went from about 230 pounds to 280 and was not physically fit. And I was like, Whoa, wait a second. Like a light bulb kind of went off. Like, wait, you a- you can't be this way. You have a job to do, and the citizens expect that you're going to do this job, and how can you do that if you're not physically fit? Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, again, Chris Knusen, um, an opportunity opened up to go to uh, Tennessee Smoke Divers. And when that opportunity came up, I took it very seriously because when I I have a mentality that when I go somewhere, I'm not just going to, yes, I'm going to learn. Yes, I'm going to uh, to take something back but I'm also going to with an intent that I'm not going to just go and show up and just barely make it through. I'm going to go there and I'm going to kill it. So what, what I did was, uh, my wife was working at a a gym. She has her, uh, bachelor's in exercise science and she was working with a guy. This was when CrossFit just kind of started to come on the, on the scene, really kind of broader scope. And, he started putting me through these workouts and I prepped for about six months to go because I didn't want the first time that I had to do something uh, be when I was there. So he put me through these ridiculous workouts and I got in really good shape. Fast forward after that, like once, once you, once I went through that, I remember thinking, okay, now I've got to, I've got to keep and maintain this and continue to get better. Uh, And then I failed because I'm a human and that physical fitness level went down and then moving down to, uh, to shirts. I was like, all right, you're in the backseat and you have a job to do time to do the work. So kind of going through this up and down through my career, I finally got to a place where it's like, okay, now if you expect people to hold themselves to a standard, you have to set that standard as well. Like you can't, I can't sit there and tell my guys, my lieutenants, drivers, or uh, firefighters. Like you're gonna be physically fit for this job, but I'm not gonna do it. I can't, I can't I just physically I can't do that. I have to be able to uh to at the very least keep pace with them in my mind. But there again, my mindset is I'm gonna do more so that I can kill it, so that nobody's ever gonna be in front of me, you know? So the guys uh, on shift, they started, you know, gear workouts at station one. And now, you know, our station one and two and three, every once in a while, they all get together. Well, I'm going to go out there and sweat with them. I'm going to go out there and do this stuff so that they see, hey, it's not just he's saying this because one of our expectations is, and it's not much to ask if we work a 48 hour tour, but one of our expectations is you will work out one hour per 48 hour tour. It's not a whole lot to ask. That one hour is not going to change your life, though. You have to, outside of work, continue to work out. And how can I expect them to do that if I'm not willing to set the precedence to? You know, I've got uh, a barn, kind of like I told you, it's the hangout spot, but it's also my gym. I've got all kinds of equipment in there. You know, my wife is very heavy into fitness. Like I said, she's got her exercise science degree, which she doesn't even use that. Again, going back to the bachelor's, there's a tie-in, voice. <laughs> she's the ultrasound tech now. Um, but I've got a seven-year-old daughter as well. And I don't want my seven-year-old daughter to see an overweight guy that says he's a fireman, but he's not able to do the job. So what I want to do is set a precedence, not only for the guys that I work with and work uh, work around, I also want to set it for my daughter. And I feel like the fire service, uh, we're getting better about it, I think. I think we're starting to see that upward trend of people are taking that that physical fitness very very seriously. You know look at these pages on uh on facebook the uncommon fireman like that that is a great place and source of accountability and it's a great place to look at if you need some workouts um i feel like we've we've allowed our um our physical fitness standards like when you look at the cpats or whatever we've allowed that to kind of take steps down over the course of time and I'll tell you a story. I'm not going to mention the department, but it was a department that I used to work for. So it was one of two. We actually had a chief there that was getting some pressure from council about uh, like, we need to have Uh, diversity within our fire department. I agree with that. Diverse fire department is very important. We have to have differing viewpoints to make us really good at this job. And when you bring those differing uh, viewpoints in, it serves your community better because they understand what those folks went through. But what we don't need to do is lower that physical fitness standard. And we had a physical fitness standard or a PAT that was pretty decent, and then we degraded it. And the way we did that is we had our PT or our PAT validated by the JV girls volleyball team. That's how we validated our, our, our physical fitness.
3: Well, that's um, one way to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. And when I saw that, I was like, what in the shit are we doing? Like, cause when we get these folks, like, I feel like when you come into the fire service, you should be at or above a level that you'll, you'll never attain again because you're so young and you're so physically fit. Now, ideally what I want you to do is at least maintain that, maybe even get a little bit better. But what I don't want to see is I'm going to start you down here because if you're overweight and you have terrible cardiovascular endurance and your strength is garbage, it took you a long way to get that way. And it's going to take me a long way to get you out of it. And that also says that you're willing to do that work. So what I see in the in the fire service, yes, we're getting better at it. We're, we're getting better as a whole for the folks that are in the fire service. We're getting that understanding out that, hey, we have to be physically fit. But I think where we're missing the point is we really have to make sure that when we bring these people in that they're ready and, and able to do this job. Because it's going to be a, a lot of work on that fire department that brings these folks in that aren't of that level. You're going to have to do a lot of work to get them there. And if they're not there already, man, shoo. Uh, that's a lot to expect and to ask of the folks that work with them to get them there. But what if they're paramedics? (laughs) (laughs) As long as they read that box, like whatever. (laughs) Uh,
3: Yeah. We talk about it all the time. If you come in, not ready. If you come in and you're a slug, your academy is
1: useless because you're so beat down and burnt out that you're not learning firefighter skills. One of the things uh, I want to bring up, you know, shameless plug for one of our good friends, Jennifer Rowan. She's running a company now called Academy Fitness Prep. And what she does is she takes people who are she takes people who are in the fire service as well, but a main focus is people who are trying to get into the fire service and they undergo one of her programs. She was a 20 year firefighter with the city of Reno and absolutely crushed it during her career. Is really physically fit and she'll put them through the paces. And all of her workouts are fire service based type workouts. Um, a lot of upper body strength, heavy focus, and things like that. And she'll put them through the paces and she'll cut you right to the bone. She'll tell you you too fat, you too slow, you you ain't strong enough, you ain't going to make it. Straight up. She's not trying to build a clientele list. She's just trying to give people the truth. And I think coming into this profession, like I said, I got in late. But at the point I got in, I was as physically fit as I had ever been. Um, And I've kind of let my stuff wax and wane. I'm a big dude. So for me to be too big is pretty easy. So I really got to keep an eye on it and keep those workouts. Luckily, that was part of my life coming into this. I had been in a gym my whole life. So staying in a gym isn't hard. But you, as a person, is your first impression. How you look when you are in your uniform. Let's go back to you know talking about these promotional interviews or getting the job interview or whatever the case may be. The way you look in your uniform is your business card. Straight up. And uh, yes, you can add or subtract qualities from there, but we all judge a book by the cover, and if you say you don't, you're a liar.
2: Yep. Agreed. It's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, sometimes you got to pull the gloves off and, and, and say the hard things. And, and it's not an easy thing to do, but it, it is a discussion that I think uh, warrants more uh, more conversation. Like, how do we get there? How do we do this? How do we do it? Especially in today's you know mindset of everybody gets the certificate. Everybody can do whatever job. No, that's bullshit, man. Not, not in this job set you, you can't, it's impossible. And if we're just going to allow people in like, be ready for what comes after that you know and, and i hate i hate to say that but you know i'm i'm so glad like i'll tell you my uh, the department i work for siblo uh one of the other battalion chiefs uh actually his shift uh started making a push to change our pat and they changed it for a lot better and all the shifts ran through it to to validate it and we're you know times and whatever and it's great i love to see that and uh a lot of the area and uh, that that i work in they've done the same they've you know live oak's got a stupid one i love it though like it's good uh all the departments are changing for the better i just across the fire service i feel like um we need to do a better job at that because this this job just is not for everyone it's really not no we can't just open the door and just let let the floodgates open and just say everybody can do it because it's that that's horse crap it's just not possible
3: yeah, I <clears throat> I remember when I was testing for fire departments trying to get on, that was like the big thing you'd hear different depart oh man, have you taken their physical yet? Like that's an ass kicker. This place has got the tough one, that place is tougher than this place. And and unfortunately, uh out here on the west coast, we've everything's a CPAT. If you have a CPAC card, you can pretty much apply to any fire department out here.
1: And what they're doing is they're trying to save money on overtime, not running physical agilities because it takes time and it takes personnel and it's a fucking pain in the ass and there's liability associated with it. But we talk about the cost versus the price, right? Mm -hmm. What's the price of running physical agilities? And then five years later, what's the cost of not doing it? So somebody needs to take that into account for sure. What have you seen, Brian? I mean, you've been around probably longer than everybody sitting here.
0: You know, and we just talked about this at work because I'm in a, a pretty good slump right now. That I need to find my physical side again at 29 years in. You know, you do wax and wane, but um, I think we're one of the the fittest. We, I, I agree with you, Tom. We're one of the fittest we've been. Um, mm-hmm. Where we're, we're at, it's awesome to see, guys. Gym's an important time to them, and it's. I, I think the fire service needs to to continue to find that balance where that has that same importance as training or leadership. You know, we we have to strike a balance that says the gym time is important, whether we do station-to-station station coverage. Um, we have one of the larger departments here in the north. They're actually able to go to gyms on duty, right. even though they may have gyms in their station. I think that's actually awesome. Puts them out in the yeah. public, et cetera. But then, you know, they have to put that importance on it. I, I think um, I watched a long time ago. I think we had a lot um, – It was a little bit of an incident where people weren't in just looking this great physical shape. My, my original crew at my department, if you looked at some of those guys, they did not meet any specification outwardly of physically fit, but you put a tool in their hand or you asked them to dig all day or throw ladders all day. They could do it all day. They had that old, pardon the expression, not to offend anybody, but that just that old man strength, they could work all day. If you, if you told them to go run the training grounds three times, which you know puts you into a mile or so, they'd be dead. Um, yeah. But it was impressive how they could work. Then I watched a shift where these guys, we've worked with some guys that would hop on a bike, could ride the entire Tahoe Rim you know, at 122 miles, tons of elevation gain, the, the base elevation is 6,200 feet, and they, that mm. was nothing to them. But then you go out and say, hey, man, move those 12 boxes and go force that door 12 times and They're all beat up and they're broken and they can't do it. So not to talk in circles here. I think we need to keep finding ways to be more physically fit, but we can't lose sight of actual work strength. And I'm not a CrossFit fan. I got a bad back and I think CrossFit would murder me. Um, But we need to incorporate those two. I'm just stoked that I'm seeing it. I watch my, my own crew. There's 10 of us downtown at our station and the majority work out. And I think that's awesome. We just need to find and grow. And somehow, I don't know how your city's doing it or any city can, but to find and put that importance that it really is. It's no different than, you know, we recently finished contract negotiations and we had to fight for cancer screening. So we had Mm -hmm. to fight for a healthcare benefit that actually saves money. I I see the same thing with physical fitness. You know, kudos to our department. We've bought a lot of new equipment. We, We do put, our chief does put a great importance on it. Kudos to him for that. But we got to grow that. We have to, because at the end of the day, stronger backs, stronger legs, more fit people, way less injuries. We'll we'll Mm. spend, I don't know how much we spent over the years on power lift gurneys, you know, and our power lifts to place the gurney in the rescue. That combined, that's a $40,000 tool per rescue. They'll spend that all day. Kudos to them. That's awesome. What if we take and spent that same money? on stronger backs and a, a program. So that, that that's the thing I've seen. And, and I just hope it keeps growing. I am stoked that we're, is physically fit. And I think we do eat better too, I, I will say that, man, we have much more better cooks. You know, chief over here always complains about something, but we, we do eat, we do eat way better. So I, I I'm very hopeful for the future.
1: Yeah. We eat uh, better because the cooks suck and we don't want to eat the garbage they're putting on the table. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. I'll never forget. I think I was, I was about 22 when I got on and it was right after we went paid, we made a structure and, you know, at at that point I was really working towards that goal. And I was, I was deep into the, you know, doing two days and all that kind of crap. And we went to this fire and I'm standing there and there's this older gentleman, his name's Andy Latham. And what he had is he, he didn't look physically fit kind of to your point. Like he didn't look like this, this specimen, but that dude outworked my dumb ass That was all this cardiovascular and strength and all this stuff because he understood technique. He we were we were hooking and ceiling, and that dude outworked me like sideways, and I was like, "Oh wow! Like it's not just the you're right. It's not just the physical fitness. It's the techniques and all this stuff and the the tips of, and tricks of the trade. You have to have both of those in congruence in order to be." be good at this job i don't think that we can skew it just to physical fitness and i've heard folks talk about the the gear workouts and you know you kind of brought up the the cancer stuff which i'm our, our department does i'm so thankful for that i think it's huge um you know there, the a department that i work for though i think that we can take that to a point where it's a little bit outside of of what we need to we can take it because i feel like the fire service like it we take things that come out and we're like, all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, this is our focus. We need to do this. Like, not downplaying playing cancer. I think that that is huge. We need to screen for it. We should do better about all that stuff when it comes to that. But you, I feel like if we realize physical fitness can prevent cancer as well because you're more healthy and you're eating and putting the right things in your body, like, let's focus on that because the department I used to work for, they went to that clean cap horse crap. Luckily, that was just a reserve but the chief was huge into that and I, I walked into a meeting and I was like hey like I'm up to here with this horse shit I feel like when we start talking about that clean cab like we have to draw a hard line in the sand and say this we're not willing to step over this line and I feel like that's that line that I was not willing to step over and luckily at that point I was I was the union president and we kind of went to him with this hey we're not down with this. We're not doing it anymore. Like we need to figure out a way to come to a place where we can, we can figure out how to, how to get your, your end goal, but we're not going to take packs out of the seats. Cause that's some horseshit. So what we did is we came to a deal. Like his whole deal was the air packs and you know, you can't really clean them or whatever. I was like, all right, fine. Well, let us do some research and find out how to do that. Well, they sell these pack washers that look like effectively they're an industrial dishwasher, right? We just
3: saw these things in Florida. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's an industrial dishwasher, but they cost like $50,000 more than one because they put that stamp of the fire service on it. So you got to upcharge, right? But that was his his way of saying, hey, if you if we can do this, we'll retrofit and we'll go back to packs in the seats and all that stuff. Luckily, none of our first outs had that. We never went to that point. But I feel like we take that. I, I, I listened to a gentleman talk at a conference one time. And I never realized this because I always just took the information as what they were providing us, you know, this this huge uptick in cancer and all that. And I, there is. Trust me, I understand that. And it's because of the crap that we're exposed to. But do you realize that beauticians, rubber or uh, rubber makers, so people that make tires and uh, hairdressers have a higher incidence of of uh, cancer than the fire service? If you took away the the folks from, from FDNY, from 9-11 and the ones that have passed since, I fully think that they should be given on job. They should be given everything that we can. And we should try and prevent that. But if we took those numbers away, our incidence of cancer is about the level of what a normal citizen walking around is. Now, I'm not saying don't don't take away the screening because it's important. We should. But we also have to realize that, man. I don't. I don't know, man. I think that we can go a little bit too far with this shit. Yeah,
3: the, the pendulum g- can definitely swing way too far. Even
2: our gears way worse than most of the shit. The diesel exhaust. If we can eliminate that from inside our stations, that'd be great. That's a good place to focus our time and our energy. But don't talk to me about all that crap when you're sitting there drinking a freaking, you know, Dr Pepper or Coca Cola, man. Because sugar's way worse for you than all the crap that that's out there. Because you're putting that in your body every day. like Let's focus in on that.
3: Yeah, we we went to two sets of gear
2: forever ago. I mean,
3: 20 years ago now, we went to two sets of gear. So when you get off a job, you dump your gear, you get in your backups, and you wash your gear. And uh, (laughs) luckily, um, we were able to stave off the clean cabs thing due to stuff like that. Just having a spare set of gear, making sure that you're washing your air packs afterwards, at least doing a gross decon on them. You know, clean your tools, clean the cab. Uh it's there's easier fixes than saying get rid of all this stuff, get it outside, and only what you can't wear it when you train. You can only wear it during an active scene, stuff like that. There, there's there's ways around this that are much easier.
0: I'll argue all day that clean cabs cause more problems stress everybody says stress is a killer right i'll tell you it's pretty damn stressful when you hop out of the damn engine and you got to go get dressed while everybody's staring at you that's stressful yep. right i want to show up dressed i get it yep. dangerous job well turn out to say right inside this is a dangerous job that's what we signed up for but i do have to laugh when you when you some of those things that we've added actually have downstream effects they, they mm-hmm. cause downstream problems and clean cabs. man i want to show up dressed ready to go
2: Amen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And, you know, when you go to the gear workouts and I, you know, I don't remember who it was. Somebody brought it up on the, on the uncommon page about, you know, don't be wearing the gear. And I get that. Like, I understand, but like gear is the ultimate equalizer when it comes to a workout. Like I'm, I'm cool if you can do up downs and all that kind of crap and, you know, put yourself in a stressful situation with, without gear on, that's good. But do it with gear on, and you're going to find out where your limitations are real quick. Doing up-downs in gear because it restricts your movement, and then you have that pack on your back, and you start to figure out, like, oh, I can do, there's a workaround and how I can do this because I have to change the way that I do things. I feel like we can't put that above, like, oh, the gear causes cancer. Well, wash the shit when you get it because it's new. And maybe don't use your first outset, your newer set, the one that's been washed a few times, to get all that shit off of it. I feel like we need to focus our our attentions more on the the stuff that is more unhealthy. Hey, what about the the people drinking every day that they're off? You know, that, that sugar you're putting in your body too, you know? What about the guys that are, are, are smoking like freight trains? What about the guys that dip all the time? Like, what about let's focus on that stuff? Because if we could do that, like, now you can be in your gear all day and it's not going to hurt you because we're not exposing ourselves on both sides. We're just exposing ourselves on this side, you know? I don't know. I I just feel like we can't take that away because the physical fitness of the job is still very important. And I a hundred percent agree with you. The technique has to go hand in hand with that. We can't just go down this realm because there's plenty of people that are like, oh, just workout, workout, workout. Well, that's great. But what about the training side too? So it is both. It's kind of like that, that two sides of the, the, the spear type deal. We got to have both working in, in conjunction in order to be really good. But if you don't have physical fitness, there's no way to, to your point as well, that if you go to a training or a fire ground and they put you through all these evolutions, if you're not physically fit, you ain't learning nothing. You're right. Because you're so damn tired, that you're not (laughs) going to learn anything.
1: That's why I've always argued against beating the shit out of the recruits first thing in the morning with a workout. We take them outside. We run them around the grinder. Beat them into the dirt for 90 minutes, let them go get a snack and some water, and then bring their sweaty, stinky asses into the classroom to learn for three or four hours on our ifs to PowerPoints or whatever it is we're trying to teach them. And they can't retain information because they're br- they're smoked. It's like, right. why don't we just bring them in, get this classroom stuff knocked out, and then go train their asses off on the training ground and get a physical workout out of that in gear and get them trained up that way. I've, I've It's always been a weird thing to me. It's a uh, right. the fire academy is not uh, the Biggest Loser. That's a quote from Jen Rowan. It's not the Biggest Loser. You don't show up and then you're like, oh, we're gonna get to work out every day. We're gonna get in shape, dude. It's like, no, we have a limited amount of time to teach these guys. Let's get them physically prepared by getting them physically prepared doing the job.
0: You know, it's still right. an argument we have today, and maybe we can just put this argument out over the airwaves so the world can help us out. So let's say it's ladder day, right? You're out chucking ladders, lifting raising lifting raising over and over again well you know for a long time if you did something wrong or you didn't follow an order or you were previously benchmarked out of that and you did it wrong you're going to go find yourself doing a ton of push-ups so now you take that same recruit put them on the ground in gear maybe out of gear one or the other bust out 50 push-ups they go grab that ladder and they throw the ladder again well now they're doing 50 push-ups again because they screwed up and i've argued these guys know because I'm, i'm not an overly fitness accentuated guy so why not have them throw that ladder 10 more times why not have him carry the ladder around the training grounds, move it around, raise it, lower it, raise it, lower it. So you got to do 10 ladder raises as opposed to 50 push push-ups. Cause now that guy mm-hmm. gets up off the ground. He's mad and embarrassed. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We should make people mad and embarrassed occasionally, but now he can't even hold the ladder. Mm-hmm. So now he does the ladder wrong again. So now we put him back down on the ground, make him do 50 more push-ups, And now he's just laying on the ground. So it's just been an argument, you know, for years of doing wall sits and all this physical punishment when, I'd rather just you have those guys go load that hose 15 more times, pull that hose yep. 15 more times. So I'd like to put yep. that out there. Maybe we could put this thing to bed someday. To yep. Find that blend. If you want them to do push-ups, cool. Let's blend it so they can still actually do their job.
2: Yeah, we had a guy on a probation at one point when I was, I was a company officer at an uh, engine. Uh, a ladder crew is out there, station one, and uh, we have this. It's a four-story um It's kind of like a senior living center, but it's not like they don't have, they don't provide care. Like it's just four seniors more or less. Right. And none of them do
1: just over clear anyway.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So lift like falls, right. The falls come out and obviously they're, they had, they had exterior balconies luckily. So what we found most of the time dealing with them, Hey, it's easier just to go to the exterior balcony. A lot of the times those ones with the pendants, they'll leave the, the balcony unlocked so that we can get in there. So this one was on the third story. We had just gone over uh, ladder throws, and and I'm not a huge fan of tying off the halyard if we're going for rescue, but when you have the time, now we're going to tie off because it's not like we're not in a hurry, right? So we have gone over tie-offs and all that crap, and uh, that guy that was on probation, I, I, I was like, this is a great opportunity for you. Let's throw that, and of course, we only had a 24, so it's a real steep angle, but let's throw this 24. We're going to go up there. Uh, so he throws a 24. Does a pretty good job. I was proud of him. and then. I asked them to do the tie off, sat there and watched them for a couple of minutes. And again, that blood starts to boil. You're watching. I'm like, we just went over this, like what's going on. And finally, I said, looked at one of the other guys and said, tie that thing off. We need to get this call done. So again, rode back, sitting there thinking to myself, great opportunity for accountability. Like you're not going to let this, and this is at like three o'clock in the morning. You're not going to let this set. When we get back to the station, I'm thinking to myself, we're going to, we're going to throw ladders. We're going to tie them off. So the cool thing about it was we got back and I I pulled that guy aside and I said, hey, listen, we're going to throw ladders for the next hour straight. It's three o'clock in the morning. I don't give a shit. I'm staying out here with you. And I looked at the other crew members and I said, you guys are welcome to go to the bed, uh, but we're going to be out here for one hour throwing ladders. So for the next hour, what I was so proud of is those guys stayed out there with us because they could have easily they could have gone to bed. But this dude went over and over one hour and then the next thing that occurred which i was even more proud of is we started pulling extra ladders out and now everybody's throwing ladders for the next hour i agree with you like it would have been simple to be like hey you're on your probationary book go out there and do push up what does that equate to nothing it didn't te- it wouldn't have taught him anything cuz he- dude's like a bodybuilder as well like that wouldn't have done anything for him let's go teach the skill set over and over and over and over until you can't get it wrong and when you do get it wrong Now you understand how to overcome that. So now we don't have those failure points on the fire ground. That's where it becomes more important. And I think the academies, and I've never taught in an academy, but I I went through one. And I agree with you. I think that we should get better about that too. Like, yes, physical fitness. I think you're right. At the end of the day, drag them in the dirt because now they can go home and they can rest for the rest of the evening. And then they can come back ready and do it all over again. Do it all over again. So
0: I love that. that
1: well tom we've been out uh almost two hours now uh anything else that didn't make the uh the, the list anything else you want to throw in here before we uh cut you loose
2: no sir i mean honestly the biggest thing is just thank you to you guys uh thank you for the opportunity to come out here and and tell a little bit about my story and just my experience in the fire service uh i appreciate again what you guys are doing for the broader scope of the fire service too i think it's huge um I'm very humbled uh, in the ability to come out and do this because again, I go back to it was my brother uh, Caleb Smith on the Uncommon Fireman uh, podcast. He said it. I'm a nobody from nowhere, and, and I, I feel that's that's me. I'm a nobody from nowhere that just has this amazing opportunity to come out and and spread the good word of the fire service. The thing that I've learned from people that are way better than me, and if I let it die with me, that's my fault. And I don't intend to do that. And that goes for anytime I have an opportunity to do this or every time I walk through the doors of the fire station. Uh, I think that one big thing that I, I've been doing for the last uh, year or so, when I when I get a chance to go teach classes is, we hear a lot of folks talk about the why. Uh, and what I've started doing is, you know, after lecture, before we go out and do hands-on, I'll pose this question to the uh, to the students. Think about your why, not the why you got in the fire service, but the why you showed up today. And then after that, I directly share my why with them. My why that I go to classes or that I show up to the fire station and do the job that I'm going to do is my wife and daughter. Uh, is Specifically when it comes to classes, my why is because I'm taking time from them. And I'm going to make it worth it to them that I went to that class or went to teach that class. I'm going to make it worth it to my daughter because she's seven years old and I've missed soccer games. I've missed picking her up from school, but I'm going to make it worth it to her that I went. Because when I hang up my crap for the last day and walk out of that fire station, eventually my name disappears from there. But my daughter and my wife, they're the ones that make make a difference to me. They're the ones after I hang this stuff up, they're still going to be there. Some of the guys will too, but if it, if it, the the train rolls on without you. Don't ever forget your family. Your families are very important and it's very easy to do. And I've, I'm not the best with it because my default is if there's an opportunity out there, I want to say yes. I want to go and do that hard work and I want to go out and take those classes and do these conferences. But at some point. You also have to focus in on the family. The family is the most important thing. I think that we can get to a point where. uh We talk about balance or folks want to talk about balance and I'm guilty of it. I used to think that there's a balance between fire and family. There's no balance. 100% of the times that you say yes, they lose because you're losing time from them and they're losing time from you to go out and do what we do. Luckily, I'm so blessed that my wife supports me. I have to be cognizant of that fact and make sure that when I'm saying yes, that I'm not doing it to a detriment to her and my daughter. I feel like we have to get better at that. And we have to get across to these folks uh, that are coming up through the fire service that are getting into the same positions where we might have gotten ourselves into and have that open and honest conversation with them. Listen, don't let the family time suffer. You know, when I got in, it was a boys club. You know, it was all about going out, drinking and hanging out outside of, of work. I love that the fire service has transitioned into it's more inclusive. We're bringing the families to these conferences now. Uh, We're allowing them to go where it used to be looked at as, no, that's where we get away and that's where we go drink together and all that crap. You know, if you have the opportunity to bring your family and for them to experience that and get to see what you're participating in, imagine the amount of support you're going to get from when they see what you're doing. Uh, It's very important. So, again, thank you guys uh, for the opportunity to come on here. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much. We appreciate you. Thank thank you very much. We look
2: forward
0: to training with you. Yeah. Beautiful
2: heck yeah. We'll see you
0: soon, man. Thank you.
2: All right, brother. You should be a monster.